So today we're going to do the second part of our lesson on teenagers. In many ways, it's easy to speak to the church about training, the training and discipline of younger children. For one thing, they're generally easier to train and discipline than teenagers are. They're more malleable, more moldable. And as they sit here, they're generally not challenging uh, what's being said. They don't feel threatened. But for teenagers, things have changed a bit, or they're in the process of changing. And you're the products, uh, uh, you as teenagers, are the products of your earlier training and discipline for good or for ill. You're becoming adults, and therefore you're more engaged with what is being said. And you might feel threatened. You might be afraid of what's being taught. Uh, because as sinners, basically all of us like to be left alone. We want to do it our way. But I want you to know, teenagers, I respect you. And that's important. You're not only made in the image of God, you have been made a part of the body of Christ. And you are brothers and sisters in the Lord. You are future husbands and wives and fathers and mothers in the church. Our goal as a Christian community is to deliver you to those things, happy, healthy, and holy, uh, into that future. Uh, in fact, it's good for you to remember that that's essentially what your parents want, that's what your church wants, they want your health, your happiness, and your prosperity. Those are all the things you want. We just don't always agree on how to get them. And that's where the rub comes in. And so our goal, again, is to bring you to that place, to provide you with instruction for a godly life and protection from anything that would threaten that. And since you still have much to learn, some, one of the main things we have to protect you from is yourself. And uh, our goal, then, is to do that. God gave you parents for a reason. You need them. And to the degree that they are wise and godly parents, you will prosper. If you have foolish or ungodly parents, you're going to suffer. You are Christians, and so as your pastor, or we have a number of visitors today, I'm sure your pastor feels the same way. Uh, as your pastor, I want you to know that I love you and that uh, we, again, are seeking your good. Uh, you belong to Jesus Christ, and by your baptism, you have been pledged, and you have pledged yourselves to follow him. You have, by that pledge, denied yourselves. Uh, you have promised to love him and to keep his commandments. And to put it very simply, God has really just given you one thing to do. That's true for young children, but it's still true for teenagers and that is, you must obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. That's the living word of God, and it's the living word of God to you. The Proverbs set before you, young people, this admonition. Hear, my children, the instruction of a father, and give attention to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine, not, uh, do not forsake my law. 
When I was my father's son, tender and the only one in the sight of my mother, he also taught me and said to me, Let your heart retain my words, keep my commandments, and live. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will preserve you. Love her, and she will keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. In all you're getting, get understanding. Exalt her, and she will promote you. She will bring you honor when you embrace her. She will place you, uh, place on your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory she will deliver to you. Hear, my son, and receive my sayings, and the years of your life will be many. I have taught you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in the right paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hindered, and when you run, you will not stumble. Take firm hold of instruction. Do not let go. Keep her, for she is your life. And so now a word to parents, to the parents of teenagers. You have likely made mistakes in your child rearing. Partly because you have to learn how to be a parent while you're parenting. You're growing up. You're maturing. You're learning. And partly because every child is different and we face new situations every day. And partly because you too are sinners and sin always makes a mess of things. And so as we look at what God expects of you in relation to your teenage children, there are some fundamental things that you need to know and remember. Number one, you are Christians, followers of Jesus. Therefore, he is the Lord of child rearing, just as he is the Lord of everything else in your life. And if you pass over this lightly, you will fail. You need to be humble before God as you seek his grace in this most important task of child-rearing, and you're doing it to His glory like everything else. You do not know it all. Therefore, you need the wisdom, counsel, and encouragement of God's Word and of God's people. It does take a village. The most important lesson you will ever teach your children are the lessons that they will learn from your example. Your words are really only a small part of their instruction. If your home is full of love, joy, and respect, starting with you, then you will see that duplicated. You need to be submissive and humble before your children so that they will know what that looks like. Indulging a child's disobedience by allowing it or excusing it will only get more disobedience and and rebellious attitude. Again, these are things for you to remember. Show respect to your teenagers. They are insecure and not nearly as sure of themselves as they would like for you to think they are. Keep the long view before your eyes. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. It is not only what you do that matters, but also how you do it. Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition or the encouragement of the Lord. Pray. 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 
for wisdom, for mercy, for grace, for you, for your wife, your husband, and your children. And finally, parents, being a Christian, that is, a baptized person that is going to heaven when they die is not enough. Going to church is not enough. Sending them to a Christian school or having a homeschool is not enough. If you do not dedicate yourself to the hard work of a distinctively and thoroughly biblical approach to child-rearing, there will be more heartache than was necessary. Proverbs 17.25, A foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her who bore him. On the other hand, faithful labor will bear good fruit. Isaiah 65.22-23 says, They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree are the days of my people, and mine elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands, they shall not labor in vain nor bring forth children for trouble, for they are the seed of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them. So now to turn to some more specific things uh, regarding the rearing of teenagers. The teenage years are not a time of innate, necessary rebellion. Now, many have assumed that to be the case and taught that this is the time characterized by some necessary animosity between parents and children. There are going to be tensions. There are new struggles. There were, there were those when they were two, but now they're going to take a new shape and a new face. But that idea that it's innate and inevitable is simply false. God expects children to be reared by their own parents, and in his word, he has equipped those parents for that task. People say, I don't know what to do. I can't do this. Um, and if parents are trying to wing it without God's word, then they should expect difficulty. The teenage years are not a time for parental abdication, uh, but these years do certainly represent an exciting challenge. That's one way to put it. A little bit like bungee jumping, I think. Um, but I want to say how important it is for you to love your teenagers. The commandments of God are not lifted or set aside in the home. Rather, uh, during these years, we're to make doubly sure that they are applied in our homes. After all, these are the people who are placed in our path every day. It's easy to forget that our family members are our neighbors and that we are consequently commanded to love them as we love ourselves. So teenagers, unlike infants and young children, no offense here, are not as naturally lovable. They're not quite as cute. Um, sometimes a little awkward. After all, these are, the, again, excuse me, uh, teenagers, again, as a result, some parents are less likely to give them the natural affection that they received when they were little. Um, so um, this, uh, this temptation needs to be strongly resisted. Uh, loving them seems much more complicated than loving them used to be. Loving them is harder, but it is the job to which parents are still called. Moreover, half of them, that's the girls, 
have turned into young women, and consequently many fathers back off from giving physical affection through hugs and so forth, but they need that affection very much. Teenagers are much more independent than they used to be now because they're teenagers. So many parents assume that their teenagers don't have the same need for love and affection that they had when they're little. It's helpful to remember, pretty much true of all human beings, we all desire to be loved. And we desire to have expressions of love with words and actions and any other way that's appropriate. But that. So that's true for teenagers, it's true for little children, it's true for grown-ups. And so, obviously this means showing such affection will change. If a mother's boy is now six foot three, the time for cuddling in her lap is long past, uh, though occasionally you might try that. Still, this only changes the way that affection is shown, not whether it is shown. Normal teenagers are young enough to be insecure and old enough to hide it uh, fairly effectively. So it's important for parents not to believe everything they say or how they act regarding this subject. They will assure you over and over they've got this. They understand. They know all. They Actually, they, they start that pretty young, you know, when they're six. You tell them, I know, I know, I know. Well, they still know, and you know they don't know. Proverbs 1, 7 through 9, regarding teaching teenagers, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. My son, hear the instruction of your father. Do not forsake the law of your mother, for they will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. Teaching teenagers is the responsibility of parents. This doesn't mean that the parents have to do all the instructing. It does mean that the parents are held responsible by God for the instruction that they receive. Nowhere in the Bible is that responsibility for a child's primary instruction assigned to the two other governments in the world, the civil government and the church. That's your responsibility. It belongs to parents. And the fact that parents need to instruct their teenagers means that teenagers have a need to be instructed by their parents. First, they in fact have a greater need for instruction than they've ever had before. They're in much more dangerous territory than they were when they were toddlers. There you were just worried about them bumping their head. Secondly, they assert that they have less need for instruction than they ever did. So they need it more than ever, but they tell you they need it less than ever. And so who do you believe, the truth or your teenager? Christian home or not, by nature they are sinners. Christian school or not, by nature they are sinners. Homeschooled or not, they are sinners by nature. Now, of course, the gospel applies to everything. Those who make such an application have a Christian worldview, and those who do not make such an application, may, of course, be saved. They may, but they're not thinking like Christians. One important area of that is that of sexual responsibility. And it's interesting, for years, uh, I've been pastoring for 38 years, and one of the things I've become resolved to do more and more because I have seen the tragedy 
and the peril of the world that we live in is it's time for the church to speak up when it comes to sexual matters. Two of the greatest gifts God gave us are our minds and our sexuality, and those are the two things that cause all the problems in the world. And they're going to cause problems for your teenagers, just like they have everybody else, but we live in a world that is so saturated with this and has such a perverted, twisted, unbiblical view of it that that the world is filled with sexual dangers. And the exposure that your teenagers have is so much greater. And I know it's easy for every generation to talk about, well, this generation... Look, mainly here's the difference. The nature of sexual sins is no different than it's ever been. The Bible is full of it. The Bible is not embarrassed to talk about it. So God invents sexuality and sex, and he calls it good, very good. And he tells us the marriage bed is undefiled, but then he warns us of all these other dangers. So I like to think of it as like something like a chainsaw. If you give a chainsaw in the hands of a man who knows how to use it, he can go out and do some good things. But you hand that same thing to an eight-year-old and let him run through the house with it, it is no less powerful, but it is a whole lot more dangerous. And it'll do a lot of destruction. And that's what we're talking about. And so what we need to understand about this is the church needs to speak up. And we need to not be embarrassed about that. And we don't need to hold back on that. But I promise you this, if you have a teenager, they know a whole lot more about this subject than you think they do. And then sometimes parents will think, yeah, a lot of, that's true for a lot of teenagers in the 21st century. No, that's true of yours. Way more than you think. Way, way more than you think. Now, teenagers, I don't want you to take, take that as some kind of a pat on the back from me because most of what you know is wrong. Most of what you know is not rooted in the Word of God. It's rooted in a different view of this that will kill you and destroy your relationships, your family, and your future. So I'm not going to spend a bunch of time here this morning dealing with that. I just want to jump up and down on that point because this is a time of physical, emotional, and sexual transition And if you don't pay attention to that, or if you ignore that, or you look the other way, then you're courting disaster on a large scale. The teenagers will all assure you that it's not a problem for them. That they're not, that that's not an issue that you need to be concerned about. But you should, I'm telling you, you should be concerned about it every day. And you should not make assumptions uh, that somehow your kids are the exception. That's a sure way to trouble. Now, I say that as one who has walked with any number of families and young people, and I'm glad to do it uh, to help get to the other side of this perilous minefield, but it is a perilous minefield. Teaching teenagers, though, again, is your responsibility. And so, um, let me find where I left off here in my notes. I took a side trip there. Um, 
the best teaching time for your kids will be found to occur with just having conversations and talks. Fathers uh, are not preachers, they are fathers. Mothers are not lecturers, they are mothers. This means that teenagers should be getting information from their parents on a constant basis, not nagging, not badgering, but just in the normal interaction of life. This means they should be getting information from their parents, again, constantly as they drive, as they walk, as they watch uh, a a movie or listen to music, all those things uh, so that you're asking questions and interacting. What does this mean? What does this Tell me what that's about, or what did you think of that? You must talk, and they mu- and you must do so in the light of God's Word. The prime time for teaching is not in the midst of discipline, although that is when parents feel the most like teaching. Now, I want to draw a distinction here between house rules and God's rules. A great deal of damage is done when kids grow up in a Christian home where biblical law and house rules are are confused. The bad will drive out the good, and traditions of men will replace the commandments of God with moralism as the result. There's a difference between raising a child that's good, meaning that they don't annoy you very much and stay out of your way, and they're not acting up and disrupting things, if that's your chief objective, that's not a biblical objective. And so the result can be grown children who are aghast at drinking the drinking of beer, but who tolerate gossip as a matter of course, because they've heard their parents gossip a million times in the home. But God never prohibited the former, and he strictly forbade the latter. What biblical parents want is morality, not moralism. Begin by teaching this distinction uh, to your teenager. Incidentally, this distinction will help resolve one of the more common problems in dealing with teenagers, and that is that of other Christian homes where that which you have forbidden is permitted. If the discrepancy is over a question of biblical morality, then you should go to that other family, perhaps, in order to confront them. But commonly, the discrepancy is caused by different families seeking to apply God's rules in different ways. A lack of wisdom can be evident here, but this is the sort of, uh, this sort of infirmity Uh, uh, is not the same thing as disobedience and rebellion. Parents should encourage their children to let it go with their friends and maintain their own house rules. Yeah, well, they get to, yeah, well, that's them and this is us. That's what they do and this is what we do. And we're not going to debate all that. First of all, we don't know all the facts. We don't actually... We're getting a report of what the Joneses do. We don't know that for a fact. But another area concerns standards of friendship. God's rules are clear on that subject. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says that evil company corrupts good habits. Notice that something is being undone here. 
So you're trying to instill good habits, godly habits, godly behavior, but their friends are undoing that behind your back, out of sight, on the side. Good habits were once instilled, evil companions take them away. Many parents have not been at all slothful in what they've done, but rather in what they left undone. Um, excuse me, they have not left things undone, but they have been negligent by allowing others to undo their work. That could be through the iPhone, the Internet, with their friends, other influences. Again, house rules may vary. Some parents may see to it that their teens have no contact whatsoever with fools. Other parents, equally wise, may see to it that all contact occurs on the parents' terms. But parents who let their children run with the pack, hang out, without any careful oversight, have walked away from a very critical and important responsibility. Success is seen when parents maintain shared values with their children over against the values of young people who despise God. Failure is seen when the wisdom of friends is valued over the wisdom of parents. Failure is seen when the wisdom of friends, and I put that in quotes, is valued over the wisdom of parents. Uh, Most of the young people in here have heard me say this probably a thousand times, so one more won't hurt. Um, You know, if you're 20, I always ask, how often do you consult 15-year-olds for advice? And I hadn't had any 20-year-olds tell me they go back to 15-year-olds for advice. But, you know, all the 15-year-olds go to other 15-year-olds for advice. And then I tell the 20-year-olds, when you're 25, you will not be consulting 20-year-olds for advice either. Because you're going to learn more in the next five years than you learned in the last five. So having some perspective is helpful. So when your kids are getting their advice and counsel from their peers... It's not necessarily that their peers are bad people. It's that they're 15 or they're 12 or they're 16 or whatever they are, and they too think they know all they need to know. So they took a poll, and all my friends are listening to this or wearing that or doing this, and you're the problem, Mom. you got to get with it. Everybody else is doing this but you. Where have you been? So in the area of hard work, we can see that one of God's rules requires hard work. These are the things that are clear that you should be instructing. One of the Ten Commandments requires a lifetime of labor. Six days shalt thou labor. Six days a week. A teenager will be prepared to obey this commandment or not, depending upon how he or she has been required to work in his home while growing up. A teenager will be, uh, excuse me, the measurement of success will be seen in the fruit of instruction. Success is manifest, uh, vested in hardworking kids, and failure is evident in lazy kids who shirk responsibility. Is that, remember you're raising adults, you're raising your grandkids' parents. 
you're raising the next generation of who's going to lead this country and our churches and our communities. So, a teenager will be prepared to obey this command, uh, or again, or not, depending on how they were raised. Parents should take care that they do not allow their children to be entertained by people who they would not allow in their homes. Again, that involves smartphones, TV, any device like that. So if you're letting them listen to music and you think, I'd love to have that rapper at my house for dinner tonight so we could learn from him. Nope. It's odd how many of us put up with language which would be intolerable if it were not coming out of an electronic box. In the By the way, just a note here, just another tangent. I don't know... I don't know what happens at your house for sure. Some of you do, some I don't. There should never, ever, ever, ever be an unwholesome word, an unclean word spoken in your house. Your tolerance for that has to be zero. First, out of yourself, out of the adults in the house. Oh, but I was really angry. Doesn't matter. Let no unwholesome word, none, zero, come out of your mouth. Ever. And I'm just, I still, thankfully, am shocked. Imagine that kids talk to their parents using foul language and parents do nothing about it, ever. So, stop it if it's happening. Um... In an area of, uh, in the area of entertainment standards, parents are successful to the extent that they've taught their children to be sensitive to fine distinctions between good and evil. Failure exists when parents and children are insensitive to such moral distinctions. We've gotten used to that stuff. Now, the last thing I want to touch on, and we're rushing through this, but these, I just want to, again, give an overview. There's lots of good material out there. So if you need more, you say, well, this, this wet my appetite. There's some really good material available. See me about that. Because this is something you need to study. This is something you need to have a battle plan for. Because you're going to be doing it every day. Now, I want to close by talking about recovering lost ground. In many respects, child-rearing resembles other aspects of life. Just when a person has thinks they have it all figured out is when they're finished. So I am sometimes when I build something. I remember building a particular baby bed that was, I think I had you know, all the little rails in a baby bed. I think I had uh, about 100 of them on the floor of my shop that were the ones that failed. And I finally figured out how to do it and got it finished. And I remember thinking as I put the last one in, I am never doing this again. (laughs) Um, So many parents begin to learn about the basics of child rearing after their kids are older and bad habits are already firmly established. Therefore, we have to remember that uh, with regard to forgiveness, God picks us up where we are, not where we should have been. And with regard to an undisciplined teenager, God may uh, use you to salvage what may be salvaged. 
the story's not over yet. Sometimes I have to remind myself I may be in a bad chapter of an otherwise good book. Of course, when you're in the bad chapter, you don't know that. So uh, you keep laboring and working. Uh, and so always keep in mind the distinction between principles and methods because every teenager is different. Solutions cannot be mindlessly applied as though they were a magic formula. Uh, with a young teenager, parents might be able to do more. Uh, with a rebellious you know, older teenager, uh, you might have to settle for less, at least for a while, but keep praying and working. But the first problem area is with sins of omission. These are the things a parent wishes the teenager would learn to do on his own, but that he doesn't seem to be able to grasp. So the single biggest problem that parents have with this kind of thing is illustrated in Proverbs 19.19. 19. A man of great wrath will suffer punishment, for if you deliver him, you will have to do it again. Why does an undisciplined teenager do uh, whatever it is over and over and over again? It's because indulgent parents cover for it over and over and over again. Parents will often sinfully indulge a rebellious teenager uh, through picking up the pieces after him or her. And this is particularly difficult for many parents to learn because they can easily be uh, uh, maneuvered or manipulated into feeling guilty by a manipulative teenager. Remember, they've had a lifetime working you, uh, figuring out how to fly under the radar and get around you and divert you. I remember we had a, a teacher, Mary, uh, Mrs. Mills, was that like 8th grade, 7th, 8th grade math teacher, little old lady, and a whole, our whole class knew how to divert Mrs. Mills. Uh, you could just ask her a question about her twin sister um, or her parrot. Uh, and we were off and running on a story, which took up 15 or 20 minutes of the math class. And it just became an obvious thing, different student each day would... Miss Mills, has your parrot said anything else new today? Oh, yes, he, you know, and here we'd go. Well, guess what? Your parent, your kids do the same thing to you. Maybe not that obvious, but they've figured out how to get, either change the subject or get, move it over here instead of where you were going or to tell you what a victim they are and how it really wasn't their fault. And you keep them on task. Uh, just a kind of a silly illustration. I just remember one time uh, Aaron, my son, was playing baseball. I think they were probably about 11 or 12. And there was a bad call during the game at second base, uh, at least in my opinion, and apparently in the opinion of all the boys. Uh, they lost the game by one run, and they were all complaining about the bad call at second base. And I remember just walking up to them and saying, guys, you know, if you'd have hit a home run, uh, if you hadn't dropped that ball, if you hadn't done this, you hadn't done, you know, why don't you look at what you need to do and not worry about the bad call? There are always bad calls in life, okay? You work harder. Don't let them divert this to that thing over there that was the reason they didn't bring do their homework last night or the reason they didn't obey you. Uh, you keep it on them. They're the ones that have to learn to be responsible for them. It's not everybody else's fault. Um, here is the basic principle which should be burned into the parental mind. 
the parents support and subsidize the, the, uh, the parent support and subsidy of their teenager should only go as far as their authority does. Total, as long as you're paying for things, you're the boss. Partial authority means partial subsidy and so forth. I can remember saying, as long as I'm paying your cell phone bill or putting a tank of gas in your car, I have a say in what you do and don't do. I think biblically that's the basis. As long as there's economic dependence, then there is an authority attached to that. You don't get to say, here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay for everything, and then you do whatever you want to do. Nope. An irresponsible teenager who's trying to work the system will want total subsidy with no authority over them whatsoever. Parents who go along with this kind of thing will live to regret it. But there are other problem areas as well, sins of commission. This can be seen when a parent's unable to tell his teenager to do something, let's say clean the garage, without having a major confrontation over it. Here are a few things to remember. And we'll finish up with this. Pick your battles carefully and prayerfully. Many parents have a problem with this because they issue commands frequently and thoughtlessly. And when the battle is chosen carefully, it's of paramount importance that you win the battle. If parents have already lost a great deal of ground, they will never recover it through losing more battles. So having picked the battle carefully, don't lose. One of the things the parents are seeking to reestablish is the respect the teenager should have for them, and this cannot be done through vacillation. If the situation is serious, the parents should avoid any battles over house rules, uh, concentrating entirely on violations of God's rules. But even when the enforcement is only of God's rules, it is important to maintain a sense of biblical perspective, recognize that certain moral questions are very important indeed and other biblical requirements are less important in terms of hierarchy. And if there's to be a confrontation, it should be over the most important issues, not the least important. Parents should be seeking to establish a pattern of godly discipline. And after one successful encounter, prayerfully seek another and then another. It is worthless to have a successful dis disciplinary event that goes nowhere. Now, the last thing I want to say is what happens when you have failed, when there's something broken. Okay, keep the door open. Maybe you've had a big showdown of some kind. Keep the door open. Maybe they've left. Maybe they've left the house. Maybe they've gone out to do it on their own. Crack the door back open. Pray for them. Love them. Don't compromise the standard. Make that clear. I love you, but I love God more than I love you. And if your children get sideways with the church, they should know from day one. My kids knew from day one. Don't ever make me have to choose between you and Christ. I love him more than I love you. Then work like crazy to never have to make that choice. Because actually, if you do that, you're loving them in the best possible way.
You're showing them. You're teaching them. This is the highest priority for you and for me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for our children, our families. Lord, you know how many times we are frustrated, angry, discouraged, even broken over these very issues. Help us, Lord. Remember that we are children, even if we're parents. We need your grace, your mercy, your instruction, your forgiveness, your restoration. Pick us up again. Teach us, encourage us, and help us to love our children to the glory of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.